It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Hi, let's go. Hour number two of the show has begun. Thanks for tuning in, however you got here. Thanks for being here, and thanks for hanging on. And hanging out. And commenting and getting ready to be a part of the conversation. It's as simple as grabbing a chair and pulling up to the table, having a seat, and jumping on in here with us. And I appreciate you. Ginger on Facebook said, I am ready for baseball and softball season. Ball Jones, hey, what's happening, Mr. Jones? Good to hear you again. He said on YouTube, Country Pleasing Sausage is amazing. And then he said, thanks, Matt, because I didn't know what I was missing. You know, and I will tell you, I've heard that a lot from a lot of people that have said, you know, I I honestly had never picked it up and bought it. I'd seen it, heard about it from y'all, tried it, and am hooked. Got to have some. And the different flavors, too. It's like you don't get a bad flavor, and they are different. You know, some products out there to go, it's this flavor and that flavor, and you try it, it all kind of is the same. It's, it's different. It's good stuff. Good stuff. I will admit that I don't have the kind of deep sleep that you hope for very much, where you really fall asleep deep and you dream, and you have slept so hard and dreamed so vividly that you can wake up and remember it. I don't get that very much. I will admit, though, I had a, I slept good one night, if you know, and I woke up at having a dream of my daughter. In my dream, my 10-year-old daughter was telling me, Daddy, I want green onion sausage. And I was telling her, yeah, but, okay, I'll, I'll fix it for you, but are you sure? Because I don't want to waste it. And, she, I, and, and in my dream, she was going, I want green onion. <laughs> I want green onion sausage. No, Mary Liddy. That's what I was dreaming. Now, you know, when this the food that you eat starts to permeate your dreams at night, it's powerful. That is a good word. It's powerful. <laughs> but I'm not making it up. It's a true story. Um, all right. So let's get into some things here in hour number two. I want to make you aware of this is also uh, a, a this morning Update on a couple of things. Mock drafts. Now, I'm not going on a big, you know, deep dive of comparing mock drafts. Okay, anybody can make one. But we're going to track this leading up to the draft in April. Because let's be honest, it's not often that here in the state of Mississippi, it's not often, it does happen. It's just not every year, okay. It's not often that you have a prospect coming from a school in Mississippi that is highly talked about as potentially moving up to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. It doesn't happen much. Now, I'm not saying that one mock draft or two mock drafts that have put Charles Cross going number one means he's going number one. I realize that's not the case. Okay, he could, he couldn't. I'm just saying. I mean, y'all be honest with me. Help me out. In, in in your lifetime as a sports fan in Mississippi, who and who are and when were the prospects from a Mississippi school that were talked about heavily leading up to the draft as possibly being the number one overall pick? Who were they? 
Seriously, who are they? Number one overall, who is it? Okay, so Eli Manning, which was really super obvious. Okay, you know, on the on the not only on the heels of of Peyton and his career and, and and kind of paving the way, but on his own accord, what he did in college, the prospect he was, it was the right move for somebody to take him number one. Of course, he didn't wind up in San Diego; he wound up in New York, and that worked out for him and the Giants. Okay, but anybody else? Who, who else am I missing? was a few years ago out of Ole Miss was Laramie Tunsil. Was he projected by some people in mock drafts to go number one overall? Okay, so here's what I'm drilling it down to. If there were some obvious names out there in your lifetime and mine, they'd already be here. You'd already have them popped up all over the place on the text line. That's because it hasn't happened. Now, Jimmy's pointing it out, and it's true. You go way back to 80, what are we talking about, Jimmy? 81 or 82? When Johnny Cooks out of Mississippi State went number two overall. Okay, so you had Eli Manning go one overall and was the whole time leading up to the draft said he's probably going to be number one overall. And it was much more of a sure thing for him than anybody else. But again, 45 years old. And we got Eli and who else? Johnny Cooks went number two overall for state. Anybody else? Okay, so the point is, not one, but several mock drafts out there, we haven't had the combine yet, are starting to project Charles Cross, the offensive tackle of Mississippi State, to go number one overall. All right, so the latest... Is uh, one of the guys at Pro Football Focus, Seth Galena, over at uh, PFF, PFF NFL. And he put his out today. He's got Charles Cross going number one overall to the Jaguars. Got Derek Stingley out of LSU going number two to the Lions. Hutchinson, the defensive end pass rusher out of Michigan, who a lot of people have him going number one. They have him going number three to Houston. Evan Neal, the defense of uh, the offensive tackle, plays the same position as Cross. They have him going number four to the Jets. Giants taking the safety at five. Another tackle going to the Panthers at six. Any others? They got Thibodeau, the big uh, pass rusher out of Oregon, going eighth to the Falcons. And then a corner and then a receiver. So the first offensive skill player would be Drake London, the receiver. They have him going 10th to the Jets. Right now, as it stands without a trade, the Jets have two top 10 picks in this draft. Now, one thing everybody seems to agree on, again, barring a trade, everybody that's doing these mock drafts agrees that the Jaguars at one could take an offensive tackle. They agree that the Jets at number four will take an offensive tackle, and they agree that then the Panthers at number six will take an offensive tackle. Okay. So a lot of the mock drafts, where they differ on that number one pick, is a lot of them go, well, the Jaguars' number one need maybe offensive tackle. 
but they're going to take the best player available, and we think that's Hutchinson, the defensive end out of Michigan. So you see him on a lot, oh, number one on a lot of drafts just going, okay, well, he's the number one player. They're going to take him number one. But you see others going, no, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to go, we got Trevor Lawrence over here. We need an anchor. We're going to take a tackle at number one. So then those people start looking at who, who's number one, which one of these tackles? Is it Neil, Alabama? Is it Equanu, the other one, out of, help me, I'm drawing a blank. Or is it Charles Cross? And so that's why you have some going, well, I think, according to my sources, they have Charles Cross rated as the number one tackle, so they'll take him number one. It, we, didn't, we hadn't lived in this space just a whole lot. Again, nobody's saying that it's a sure thing that Cross is going to go number one overall. I'm just saying that here in the state of Mississippi, it's not something we deal with every year. And that is one of your players heavily weighing into the conversation leading up to the draft as potentially the number one pick. Now, Sven has stayed on this over in Germany. He says Charles Cross is going to go anywhere from 8 to 15. He thinks Philadelphia would take him somewhere outside of the top 10. And this we do know, Sven, is if nobody takes Charles Cross inside the top 10, he'll go pretty quick after that, maybe within that you know, 9 to 15, somewhere in there. Um, <clears throat> not 9. 11 to 15. Something to remember about Charles. Okay, so he's played three years of college ball, started full-time for two. He's still pretty young. He's only 21 years old. The tape is really good on him. People that know seem to think that Charles is going to go to the combine and really show out in terms of just running, jumping. You know, he'll jump on the bench press and be really good, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so they've got him at one. Now, there's another one that came out today. That was just a top 10. That was a look at a, a top 10 mock draft from the guy over at uh, Pro Football Focus. Here's another one that came out today. A complete big board from two other people at Pro Football Focus that kind of, again, you know, looks at ranking their prospects. They do a big board. Now, this is different than a mock draft. But it is the same service, Pro Football Focus. This is not a mock draft. This is lining out the prospects and where they are. Like This one's ranked one. This one's ranked two. It's not saying for sure this one's going number one and this one's going number two. It's just ranking the prospects, okay? Same service, though. They do have Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end pass rusher out of Michigan, as the number one ranked prospect. Number two, Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end, Oregon. Number three, safety, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame. Number four, corner, Stingley, LSU. At number five, Evan Neal, offensive tackle, Alabama, 6'7", 350. He's a junior. And at number six, Charles Cross, Mississippi State. So in, in that same service, in terms of ranking their prospects right now, this again, it comes out this morning, so you know good and well that it's sort of affected by the week of the Senior Bowl, which just happened. All these coaches, all these evaluators, they go through the week of practice, the Senior Bowl. The game doesn't matter as much. It's the practices and the reps. It helps them evaluate. They come out of that, boom, we get these new rankings here on a Monday, post-Senior Bowl. 
So they've got Evan Neal, the number one tackle at number five overall. They've got Charles Cross, the number two tackle, at six overall. What are the differences? Let me just give you some of these some of this info. Evan Neal, 6'7, 350. Charles Cross, 6'5, 310. Shorter, lighter for Charles Cross. Evan Neal is a junior. Charles Cross, a redshirt sophomore. Grades, season grade this past year. Charles Cross graded the number one tackle. Evan Neal graded the number two tackle. Again, it's not saying this is what um, they're going to take. It's just saying that he's in the mix. It doesn't happen too much around here. Uh, others of note in terms of their prospect ranking, the edge rusher out of Purdue is number seven, corner from Cincinnati. Sauce is number eight. Uh, any, I'm gonna I'm gonna scroll down and tell you any that jump out at me. Okay, the other tackle I couldn't think of where he played Ikuanu. He played at NC State. He was NC State's left tackle. Let me tell you, watching him in person this year. Of course, watch film leading up to the Mississippi State and NC State game. The guy's really good. Okay, he is so good that in that game against State, go back and watch it over again at how many times NC State ran a ball to the left right behind him. They just run it behind him. We need four yards to make it third and six. Run a ball behind him. He's like automatic. State did a pretty good job against him, you know, compared to some of their other opponents. Okay, they ranked N'Kobe Dean, Mississippi kid, who's a linebacker at Georgia, as a number 14 overall prospect. Here's something to note also. Again, I'm just giving you the info. This pro football focus, they have this morning re-ranked all their top prospects for the draft. The number one quarterback Ranked and and Roshana, you brought this up on Facebook. You said, "Is this the weakest quarterback draft that there's been?" Well, I'm about to tell you the number one quarterback on their prospect list, the overall prospect list, is at number 16 overall, and it's Sam Howell out of North Carolina. That's the first quarterback to pop up, one spot ahead of Jamison Williams, a receiver out of Alabama, at 17. Uh, Olave, the receiver out of Ohio State at number 20 overall. This is their prospect list. Okay. The next quarterback is not on their list. Is not Pickett, Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. It's Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati at number 23, who, by the way, just really had a great week at the Senior Bowl. Um, offensive guard Kenyon Green is at number 24. In terms of the overall prospect, he's from Texas A&M. The corner out of Auburn, McCreary, is at number twi- uh, number 25. So there are your top 25 prospects, at least in terms of how they rank. So you find it interesting. They put two offensive tackles at f- uh, four, no, at five and six, Neal and Cross, the first quarterback that pops up on their prospect list this week after Senior Bowl stuff is Sam Howell, and the next one is Ritter. So there you go. 
Jimmy on YouTube said pass protection analytics for cross are off the charts, and that and they are. You know the the film, the grade, the analytics. He had a. I know that they got whipped as a team by Alabama, but you watch the film. Cross had a big time tape game against Alabama. He had a big time film game against Kentucky. He had a big time film game against LSU, and he had a big time film game against Auburn. Yeah, it's pretty off the charts. Uh, and Jimmy followed it up and said, bottom line, Charles Cross made a good choice to leave early, and I think he did too. 21 years old, see? And I think that excites you know, a lot of people also. Again, it's just one list. It's all this. It's one projection. We'll see, but it just didn't happen much. Louvier reminded me on the country pleasing text line that um, Archie went number two. Uh, so he was a number two pick, goes number two overall. But again, so what are we talking about? Seventy. So so around so around seventy or so, the turn of that decade, we have one from Mississippi go threatened to go number one. He went number two. Ten years later, 81, 82, we have one from state. Johnny Cook's threatened to go one or two. He goes number two. That was eighty. What? Twenty years later. We have one threatened to go number one, and that's Eli, and he went number one. And now 20 years after that, we got one threatening to go number one, and that's Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. <clears throat> I wondered if this was going to happen, Will. Okay, Will on Facebook says this. I have no way of knowing you know, what's to it. I'm just, Will, I'm putting your comment up so everybody can see it. Will says, Texas is in talks with hiring David Cutcliffe and Arch Manning would follow. You wondered, right? This Arch Manning kid's getting ready to come out of high school. David Cutcliffe just ended his relationship with Duke after being their head coach and do a heck of a job for a long time, frankly, but he's now available to go do whatever he wants to. And if he wants to retire, I'm sure he could. But um, <clears throat> he's out there, okay? And you wondered... I, I always just assumed, Will, that it just made sense. I mean, Coach Cutcliffe, his son is the head coach at Oxford High School. And Ole Miss wants this Arch Manning kid. Why in the world wouldn't Ole Miss figure out a way to hire David Cutcliffe? Whatever it took to recruit him, get him to come play for him, you would think. But Will is saying that the 24-7 sports site Longhorn Wire is reporting that. So so there you go. Now let's read Jason's comment. Jason in Flagstaff. State's offensive line struggled a lot despite cross. Scares me to death for next year. Yeah. I, w- I actually wouldn't say that. I wouldn't define it as struggling a lot. Um, the time they struggled the most was against Alabama. And to show you the respect that Alabama coaches had for Charles Cross after watching the film and game planning for that game, y'all, go watch the whole game. Not one time the entire ballgame did they ever line up Will Anderson, in my opinion, the best player in college football, directly across from 
Charles Cross in a in a one on one pass rush. They never did it. The only time in pass straight up pass pro that Charles Cross, your left tackle, wound up blocking Will Anderson is when he lined up on the other side and they ran a two-gap twist. He came all the way around two guys and Cross picked him up. The rest of the ball game, they said, okay, we are not wasting Will Anderson on Charles Cross's side. We're lining him up on the other side. And then after that game, that he had big numbers and everybody said, well, um, he obviously beat the other offensive tackle, Lashley, over and over and over again. Well, again, when you watch the film, in straight-up one-on-one pass rush, pass pro, he beat him like twice. But there were other plays that he made you know, to get to the quarterback. He just disrupted the whole game. He's that good. But it showed you, I mean, Alabama, the best in the country because they have the most uh, analyst staff in the country at watching film and breaking down the other guys and finding the matchups that need to happen and when the, and when and how they need to happen. Not one time did they put Will Anderson across from Charles Cross. It was basically their way of saying, uh, if we put him over there, that eliminates him from making plays. We're not doing that. <laughs> you talk about respect. Yeah, and the tape backs it up, too. I mean, it really does. So we'll keep an eye on it. Combine coming up. They seem to think Charles is going to do really well at the Combine and then a draft coming up uh, in April as well. All right, so on to that baseball stuff. That'll be next. I'm Matt in the Bureau. Stick around. Time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Talking more great sports for you, Mississippi. Online transmission is ready, sir. All right, back with you here in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau Insurance. Go! With the home team, they are your home team at Farm Bureau. Staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire. Customer inspired. Yeah, baseball fans like this kind of talk from Sven. He may be in Berlin, Germany, but he can keep up with Diamond Dogs baseball because of the internet. Hey, speaking of, I'm supposed to hear, this is about the time of year we're supposed to start hearing from Jay in Baltimore. Anybody know what's up with Jay? Hopefully Jay's doing all right. Anyway, Sven says, apropos baseball dogs, I think Coach Lamonis found his Tanner Allen replacement state signed Aiden Fincher out of Winston Academy. The kid is a real deal. Lots of talk about prospects and newcomers and who, what, when, how. And I got to watch a little scrimmage yesterday, and it even felt like baseball weather. It was some kind of nice. Yes. Sure did. Uh, they scrimmaged on Saturday. They've been doing that. Everybody does that. And then state scrimmage yesterday afternoon. I went down there after church. I stood out there on a the plaza a minute just looking around. It was feeling warm. It came out. It really did. I forgot that was in the song. And I've got the pictures to prove the song was out. But it was nice. Um, Inter-squad deal. And I tell you, it's one of those where the, the weather was surprising. And, it, and you wouldn't at all call it a, 
you know, a big crowd by any stretch to watch a scrimmage. But uh, it was maybe a larger crowd in and around parts of that stadium to watch that scrimmage than I thought, um, you know, I was going to see when I walked up, frankly. Uh, the guys pitching in the time that I was there yesterday at the scrimmage, Brandon Smith, he seemed to be throwing well. I think he threw four innings in the scrimmage. Didn't give up a lot of hits. Had some Ks. And then uh, the freshman out of uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, Jack Walker, uh, he he pitched also. And he's, you know, they list him at 5'11", 210, but he's, he's thick now. He's built like an athlete, kind of thick, wide-body guy, and he – was uh, you know consistently fastball up there around ninety one or so good change of speeds and not all the walks they did put the bat on it a couple times but it was neat to be out there to see some new um, some of the the newer faces um, quarter he wears number fourteen uh, in from Hines um, I got to watch uh, Siebert number thirty big. First baseman, 6'4", 245. Bats left, throws left. Got to see him put the bat on it. He's from Daphne, Alabama. Went to Pearl River Community College. Big guy. Big body guy. Um, so, you know, a new few new faces uh, in that scrimmage yesterday. It was just good to be out there, though, to be honest with you. It really was. Yeah, and, you know, uh, hey, I will tell you this. You know, we talked, in case you missed it, talked with Bart Gregory Friday, sort of previewing Mississippi State season. Friday when we talked to Bart was exactly two weeks from the start of the season. We're inside of that now, obviously. But if you want to go back and listen, um, it's available on the podcast. Just go anywhere you can get a podcast. Look up the Matt Wyatt Show. It would be Friday during the, I guess, the second hour. And um, also there's a, about a nine- or ten-minute portion of that kind of previewing with Bart Gregory that I shared on Twitter this morning. So, again, if you missed it, didn't hear it, or if you just want to listen again, it's available for you there. I'm Radio Wyatt on Twitter, so you can go look that up. I know I've probably asked you all this before, but did you, did you collect baseball cards when you were a kid? Check this out. Yesterday, a baseball card, half of a baseball card, not the whole thing, nowhere near mint condition. Half of a baseball card sold for almost half of a million dollars. <laughs> half of a T206 Honus Wagner card with most of his face still intact, but much of his uniform missing, sold. For $475,000 in an online auction that ended over the weekend. Another high mark for the card considered by many to be collecting's holy grail. Only slightly more than 50% of this baseball card remains. It's got a tear down the right front side. So if you're looking at this thing, it's like a rectangle shape. It's not a square card. You know how baseball cards are. They're taller than they are wide. A little rectangular deal. And it's almost torn like from the top right to the bottom left. Not, com- not completely 50%, but I'd say about 40% of it <coughs> torn out of there. 
The thing's torn in half, y'all. $475,000. The card authenticated by somebody, whatever, had been in the consigner's collection since the 1990s, according to the uh, to SCP auctions. Put this thing on sale. The card was issued in American Tobacco Company cigarette boxes from 1909 to 1911. This particular card, highly desired by collectors over the years, the price of T206 Wagner's, Honus Wagner's, in any condition, any condition, rose rapidly in 2021 after one sold for a then record $3.75 million in May, and another one sold in August of 2021 for six point six. Million dollars. Six million dollars for a baseball card. Of course, it is over a hundred years old. What are you gonna do with it? Just look at it. I mean, what does it do? It just sits there. <laughs> well, man, it sits there and holds value. Will has a good point. Will says baseball card, the original NFT, non-fungible token. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It kind of were. Oh, I hate you missed out on it, Grumpy. Grumpy just texted the show in a country pleasing text line. He said Matt Grumpy's bid was $390,000. Dad, you just missed out, Grumpy. I hate it. didn't work out for you. Honus Wagner is a Hall of Famer. Played 21 seasons for the Louisville Colonels and the Pittsburgh Pirates. 3,420 career hits, still ranks 8th all-time. And 723 stolen bases, ranks 10th. All the way back in the early 1900s, we're talking World War I. Now, uh, if you want to know here, let's see. What could this card's value be in five years? So this guy named Bill Shays with the National Sports Business Reporter, his answer, what could the card be worth in five years? He said, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> It's such a wild west with cards and collectibles anymore with enormous sums being spent on known commodity vintage cards and speculation cards. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. There's apparently a... Okay, so this is one of the... It says this is one of the two most iconic baseball cards, at least for the larger public, which the other includes a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle rookie card being the other one. Question, does half a Mona Lisa hold value with potential for growth? Maybe so, but it's surreal to see what are un ultimately remnants selling for such sums. I bet. Yeah, Jimmy, I just had to ask the question, okay? I just had to ask. I mean, really, I'm just going strictly pragmatic here. What does it do? I mean, it's a baseball card. You're going to just sit there and look at it. Half a million dollars. Three million. Six million. A baseball card. Jimmy, what does it do? It clearly prints money. LOL. Yeah, okay, so if it holds its value, it means you can sell it to somebody else who's got half a million dollars for half a baseball card. How many of those kind of people are walking around out here? Seriously. Let's just scan society to find the people out here who've got $475,000 they can blow 
on half of a baseball card. It's torn in half. It's got the value. Where are they? Where are those people? How many are those in the world? How many are there? And you're sitting here going, well, I've got this, and it holds a value. For now. What if you want the money? you got to find somebody to sell it to, right? Where are they? I'll tell you where they are. Few and far between. That's where they are. <laughs> now, <clears throat> if my sweet wife, Annabeth, could hear me right now, she's cringing, thinking that he's, he's going to go there, he's going to go there. And I am, but I have asked this question before. I want you to think about the human race for a minute. <laughs> That's me and you. We're included. This is not pointing finger to anybody else. I want you to think about the human race for a minute. And then I want you to think about diamonds. Uh-huh. All that money to do what? I'll tell you what it does. Nothing. Like, physically, nothing. Now, if you put that diamond on the edge of a saw blade, now we got something. We can turn boards into lumber and trees into boards. <laughs> and it doesn't get dull. But other than that, I'm spending all that money to look at it. Hey, it's your money. Do what you want with it. But I'm tell you this, that diamond's doing nothing but sitting there. <laughs> Stick around. Are you ready? Brace yourself. Now back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Back with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They are your home team here in the great state of Mississippi. Caleb on the YouTube live stream says um, regarding the value of those cards because that brings about the question. What's something made in the last 20 years that'll be a collector's item in 100 years? Something that'll sell for $500,000. Whew. There's a thought provoker right there. Caleb, what would that be something created, something made in the last 20 years that's going to be a collector's item in 100 years from now? Something that'll sell for that half a million dollars. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Not smart enough to figure that out, but it is a thought provoker. I know that. Now, Will said you only need one person. Willing to pay five hundred thousand on that baseball card. Now, here's a problem with that, though. Will is if there's only one person willing to pay that, they will never pay that. There must be at least two willing to pay that for one of them to actually come off the money. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? But it's like Tim Tebow said: I don't have to get all thirty-two teams to like me. To be a first-round pick, I just got to get one to like me. He's right about that. Uh, Jimmy said, this is silly. The very thing like this makes folks hate rich people. <laughs> Will said, uh, I mean, people spend money on Ole Miss season tickets, so I guess a few people know how to waste money. <laughs> uh, Chuck said, from an earlier topic, 
the way you felt about the scuba diving scene in the Magnum PI intro was the way I felt about the Fall Guy intro with Heather Thomas when she walked through those swinging doors. Yeah. And what about um, Dukes of Hazard intro? Daisy? Yeah, that's enough of that. Richard says, Jimmy, I respectfully disagree. What makes people hate rich people is the advice of the people doing the hating. Hmm. That's deep right there. Okay, and then Will is telling me that the original Mario Brothers in the plastic sold for $500,000. So we're talking, when you say original Mario Brothers, you're talking Nintendo? The original Nintendo from the 80s? I thought it was, I thought it was, well, let's see. The original Nintendo came with Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, right? I think so. <clears throat> Something like that. Uh, a couple of other things I want to make you aware of. Here's a baseball update for you. Now, look, you're not going to like the story if you're a Major League Baseball fan, but at least you can enjoy the song. That's what, that was my thinking. I'm not trying to play a positive song over a negative story and somehow smooth it out there for you. That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to give you something you'll like because you're not going to like the story. Sing along. All right, so it says here that while Major League Baseball continues to insist that federal mediation is the best route to break the deadlock, the Major League Baseball Players Association on the weekend rejected the owner's request for a mediator to negotiate between the two parties. Does that make any sense at all? Okay, over the weekend, the owner's said... The only way to break the deadlock is to get the federal government in here as a third party to mediate between us, players. And the players are like, I don't want that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Here's a quote for you from the Major League Baseball Players Association. Two months after implementing their lockout, and just two days after telling us that a counterproposal would be made, the owners refused to make a counter offer and instead requested mediation. After consultation with our executive board and taking into account a variety of factors, we, the MLBPA, have declined the request. <clears throat> Come on, man. Hadn't we been through enough? This move pretty much eliminates any chance for an on-time start spring training. Is this the year you did it? Is this the year you did it? You and your dad or you know your brother or your best friend. You bought tickets, reserved a room, an Airbnb, plane tickets, travel plans. We are going to Port St. Lucie, Florida. We're going to go to spring training. Jupiter. We're going to the Cactus League in Arizona to watch the Cubs at their spring training facility. And I'll be doggone. They ain't going to do it. Pretty much eliminates on-time start to spring training unless the owners lift the lockout and the sides continue to negotiate for a new agreement and letting the camps commence. What do you think the chances of that happening are? How about like that commercial said, uh, Less than zero. What it's saying is if you're going to start spring training on time, the owners would have to go, oh, well, let's just end the lockout. 
We'll continue negotiating, but y'all come on in and let's get ready for the season. See, because then the players win, right? Then the players win. Owners right now, their leverage is, you ain't playing. And the players are like, okay, fine. You even sell him one ticket. One. Until we figure this out. We're at a standoff. Some in the industry on both the league and the player side fear that the March 31st date for opening day could also be at risk if no resolution is reached by the end of February. Lots of speculation that the season will be canceled. That's stuff that I've read, too. I just don't believe it will happen. I do not believe they will cancel the season. And here's the worst thing about all of it, okay? Here's the worst thing about all of it. <laughs> well, that's overstating. It's not the worst thing. It's one of the bad things about it is people going, hey, 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 this is college baseball's chance. If they cancel Major League Baseball, then maybe some of these networks that carry pro baseball will pick up all these college baseball games and really we just watch college baseball. Uh-uh. All this college baseball has got what? They've got existing media rights agreements through their schools, with their schools, with the conference, and their TV partners also. So it ain't happening. But, but, the silver lining there is you're watching college baseball anyway around here. We're going to have it sooner than later. All right, let me jump over to the phone line, Divinity Equipment phone. Adam. Hanging on line one. Thanks for being patient, Adam. What's up? Hey, Matt. I just want to make a comment on the card collection you were talking about earlier. Sure. Uh, kind of drop, drop something on the public if they don't know. That market is the Wild West. It, it's gotten a hundredfold, a hundred times better um, than what it was just two or three years ago. Uh-huh. Cards that I personally that I sold for two or three hundred bucks are now two or three thousand dollars like really? take for instance the, the tom brady rookie card the bowman 2000 rookie card i bought two of them one from a lady who divorced her husband and was selling off his stuff so i got lucky there but both of them were like 350 dollars and the day he retired when they leaked it they were selling for over seven thousand dollars on what so there's a it out there if anybody's interested they, they can get into it i mean that card is going to be a fifteen thousand dollar card in the next year um another another instance just to say real quick giannis i had uh a guy was selling 10 of his psa 10 uh his rookie card they were 400 dollars a piece and last november they were all over five thousand dollars good night okay You've got experience with this, Adam. I want to ask you a question just real quick. And so stuff like semi-vintage baseball cards, let's say baseball cards from the 1970s that are in really good shape, like Roberto Clemente and Mike Schmidt and when they were young players, even like Hank Aaron cards and stuff from the 70s. Are those cards going up in value? Because I know at one time they weren't. 
They are. They're starting to. I think it's kind of like a trickle down effect. Okay. From the new ones, the new ones now, from the whole junk era, eighties and nineties, early two thousand, they corrected that and started doing numbered cards. So there's only so many made, oh. and they've got a number on them and all. Okay. Um, but your your Hall of Famers and your your iconic players from from the seventies and all, they're they're starting to hold out. Okay. The trick is you just got to have them graded. And it's so backed up right now with PSA, it can take you six months to get a card back. Graded. Is that right? So. That is fascinating. That is yeah, fascinating. I, I know. I kick myself every <laughs> day whenever I look and see hey, the values and, of uh, they've increased. And Adam, um, we're out of time. But somebody like you that knows this, I would love to interview an expert in this field. So if y'all can hook me up with who that is, tweet it to me or something, and I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Thank you, man. I've got you. i got you for that. Thanks. Yeah. We got to wrap it up for Bill. I'm Matt. I'm going to get doing some homework on some baseball cards, and I'll see y'all <laughs> mañana. See ya.